0: Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time.
1: Welcome. Welcome
0: welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there, I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. (laughs) How you doing? I am very good. This is such a good series we're in.
1: Yeah, I'm very much excited about it. I'm I'm always excited about our themes, but this one's, uh, again, one that's allowing us to do some kind of bigger... um, names or newer ones uh and yeah i i'm i'm stoked to be able to have an excuse to dig into these
0: yeah and this one is one of my all-time favorite scary movies it's it's probably one of my all-time favorite movies period Mm. it's so good
1: yeah i think for as long as i've known you (laughs) this has always been on the top of your list it's just one of those that you always enjoy being able to express your interest about and you know what you love about it so yeah I think that's another reason I was excited to get into it just because I knew it it would be one that you'd love to dig into
0: and I'm ready to get to it are you yes all right well let's go But first, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater moves around. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next but if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are in our second week of a month-long series we call Summer Blockbusters, where we watch some of the biggest horror flicks to hit the big screen over the hottest months of the year, driving us out of the heat and into the theater seats. And today, we are talking about the 1999 ultimate twist of a hit, The Sixth Sense.
1: Yes. I remember when we first started this podcast, this was one of those that you were almost kind of scared of doing, I guess, or you just, I think it was on your list of like maybe ones you didn't think you would ever do.
0: Yeah. I kind of have this little ongoing list in my head of movies that I don't particularly care to ever cover on Mm. this podcast. They're either extremely disturbing and that's not something I find enjoyable to talk about ad nauseum for a couple of hours or in some cases I just don't want to spoil it but this one you know it's really probably the most famous twist in cinema history and so at this point 20 years on I I think pretty much everyone knows what's going on here. Hopefully. Hopefully.
1: If not, then you, you should go watch the movie.
0: Yeah, if ever there was a movie <laughs> that I was going to insist that you should watch before you listen to this podcast, this would be it. I mean, there is a, a huge twist in this one, and that is the true payoff of this movie. It's really what makes it so fantastic. And so if you truly don't know what that is, and you've never seen this, I, I gotta tell you to go watch it. it. It's totally worth it, because even though we're going to talk about it, it's not going to give you the same effect as if you're seeing it. And we're going to talk about all of it
1: yeah yeah exactly of course and pretty much just as Whitney said we're going to be talking about all of it which means uh there's going to be all kinds of spoilers so definitely like Whitney said go take a chance to watch it we found it on Amazon Prime and Apple TV I believe and then the Roku channel had it for free uh with commercials that's all we could really find uh but yeah definitely go watch it and come back and hear us talk about it but I on the other hand, I do understand that this movie isn't for everybody. Some people just aren't into paranormal movies, which is more than okay. Uh, so if you just want to stick around and hear us talk about it, and uh, hopefully we make you laugh along the way, then we're cool with that too. We're never going to judge you what your choices are. Well, okay. Not all your choices. But these choices, we promise you we won't judge you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a safe zone. Safe
0: zone. The... S- it might be dead, but it's still safe. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, we're starting to learn that might not be true. Very. Uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, why do you say we get to the wiki?
1: Yeah, let's get into it. I know that there's got to be some facts about this movie that I haven't heard, but I'm so excited to hear.
0: All right, well, here we go. Well, the Sixth Sense is a 1999 American supernatural psychological thriller written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. The film established Shyamalan and introduced the cinema public to his traits, most notably his affinity for twist endings. It stars Bruce Willis, Haley Jo Osman, and Tony Collette. The film had a production budget of approximately $40 million, plus an additional $25 million just for marketing and advertising alone. That is a lot of money for a studio to gamble on a no-name first-time director. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody was banking on this movie to hit. In fact, it was so far off everyone's radar in Entertainment Weekly's 134-film summer movie preview of 1999. That's a long title. The Sixth Sense was not even mentioned. Oh, wow. 134 films. They didn't even mention it as an upcoming one. But when it was released on August 2nd, The Sixth Sense exploded and grossed $26.6 million in its opening weekend alone and spent five weeks as the number one film at the U.S. box office, becoming only the second film after Titanic, to have grossed more than $20 million a weekend for five weekends straight. It earned almost $300 million in the United States and Canada, with a worldwide gross of nearly $700 million, ranking it 35th on the list of box office money earners in the U.S. as of April 2010. It ended up being the second-highest-grossing film of 1999, only being beat out by Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. On March 28, 2000, after a six-month online promotion campaign, The Sixth Sense was released on VHS and DVD by Hollywood Pictures Home Video. It would go on to become the top-selling DVD of 2000 with more than 2.5 million units shipped, as well as the top video rental title of all time. That's crazy. I, I had no idea. No, I didn't either. That's nuts. That's, that's
1: crazy for any movie, but specifically a horror movie, that's that's really wild.
0: Well, the film received mostly positive reviews. Osment, in particular, was wildly praised for his performance, on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 86% with a general critical consensus reading, quote, M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense is a twisty ghost story with all the style of a classical Hollywood picture, but all the chills of a modern horror flick, end quote. The Sixth Sense was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joel Osment, Best Supporting Actress for Toni Collette, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Picture. Unfortunately, it failed to walk away with any of the top honors, but in 2013, the Writers Guild of America ranked the screenplay as number 50 on its list of 101 Greatest Screenplays Ever Written. And the line, I See Dead People, from the film became a popular catchphrase after its release, ranking it as number 44 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. And here's a fun game you can play if you plan on watching this again. One of Shyamalan's directorial styles utilized in several of his films is his limitation of the color red. This eye-catching hue is absent from most of the film, but is used purposefully and prominently in a few isolated shots to highlight any explosive emotional and or significant moments in the story examples include the door of the church where Cole seeks sanctuary and the doorknob of the locked basement door where Malcolm's office is located so how many more can you find Danny and I tried to seek these out as we watched and we'll give you our tally at the end so if
1: there's anybody out there that isn't quite sure what this movie is about I will share the synopsis now It is about a young boy named Cole Sear who is haunted by a dark secret. He is visited by ghosts. Cole is frightened by visitations from those with unresolved problems who appear from the shadows. He is too afraid to tell anyone about his anguish except child psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the truth about Cole's supernatural abilities, the consequences for client and therapist are a jolt that awakens them both to something unexplainable.
0: Ooh, that sounds really good. Let's watch it.
1: All right. We'll stop here. <laughs> Let's go check it out.
0: And again, you should too. This is your last chance. This is
1: your last warning, you
0: guys. I'm this not is even it. kidding, man. Don't but, make me come over there. I will turn this podcast around. I swear, if someone comes and says, how dare you, I won't do anything about it, but I'll just, it'll be upsetting. <laughs> you don't want to hurt
1: her feelings, you guys. She's a sensitive little
0: bean. All right. Well, let's get to it. I am so excited. I am too. The moment has come. And we start out with opening credits. Who knew? What a twist. Plot twist. That's it. We warned you guys. <gasps> oh, my God. I told you it was coming. I really thought it was going to be in credits. Nope. Not Ooh. this one. Just... My, he- my head is buzzing. Uh, yeah. Literally buzzing. All right. Well, although the story is all about young Cole, as you mentioned in your synopsis there, uh, Haley Joel Osment gets fourth billing in this. Uh, he's after Bruce Willis, Tony Collette, and Olivia Williams, uh, who plays Bruce Willis's character's wife. But she's, I mean, in terms of her screen time mm-hmm. compared to Cole, yeah, I mean. It would seem that Cole would get the top billing, but that just shows you, uh, you know, what star power does. Yeah. Of course, Bruce Willis is going to be right there on top. That's your your big name moneymaker right Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But I just thought fourth, that was, I thought he would at least get second.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's kind of the, uh, the movie uh, exists because of him. And his character plays a pretty (laughs) Pretty
0: important role. (laughs) He's pivotal. Pivotal. Yeah. Very pivotal. Uh, Funny little thing about Mr. Bruce Willis here. uh, He ended up doing this picture because this is one of two pictures he owed Disney. Uh, And I I know this is a Spyglass picture. They're a subsidiary of Disney. But he owed them two films because (laughs) he got a director fired. From a movie he was working on, uh, and and had to negotiate that deal. He had to go to the studio and said, I want this guy gone. And they're like, Well, you know, what are you that we can't just what are you gonna do for us? Yeah. He said, I, you know, I promise I will in the future I will do two more movies for you. Yeah. And so this is one of the ones that he owed him. And man, I, I honestly think this is one of his finest performances. Hands down.
1: I love the thought of the Sixth Sense being uh, somehow six degrees separated from Disney. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. (laughs) Not even. It's just like one. Even better. (laughs) Well, we start on a light bulb as it grows lighter and we see Anna Crow come down into the cellar to pick out a bottle of wine. Although it appears she's already been hit in the bottle, as uh, she seems a little wobbly uh, as she walks down the stairs. Uh, And just as she is picking out the right vintage, she catches a chill and runs back upstairs. And upstairs, Anna's husband, uh, Malcolm, is in the living room, admiring the frame of an award that he's just received from the city of Philadelphia for outstanding work in the field of child psychology. That's one fine frame. One fine frame it is. (laughs) He's wondering how much such a fine frame would cost. And Anna, who hands him a sweatshirt to ward off the chill they're experiencing in the house, is wondering why he always sounds like Dr. Seuss when he's drunk. She then gets serious for a moment and tells him how important this award is for him, uh, that it recognizes the sacrifices Malcolm has made putting everything second, including her, to dedicate himself to helping troubled children. Of course, Malcolm here is played by Bruce Willis, who does have a few other creepy credits on his resume, including Death Becomes Her, Twelve Monkeys, Planet Terror, and of course M. Night Shyamalan's trilogy, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. There you go. He's a spooky dude. He is a spooky dude. I had completely forgotten about Death Becomes Her. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I have. It's actually a pretty darn good movie. We, I think we're gonna have to cover it someday.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested too because I know a lot of people have put that on their list of like favorites of somehow or for some reason. Uh, and I've always been interested in, in watching it just because I I don't even know really honestly what it's about. So I would definitely be stoked to cover that.
0: Well, next, the crows take their tipsy selves off to bed to make with the six. uh, When Anna notices one of the bedroom windows has been broken, Malcolm comes over to check it out, and we see a shadow pass over them, causing Anna to scream as they both turn toward the bathroom. So Malcolm makes his way slowly around the bed, and we see a very skinny, sickly-looking man standing in his underwear, crying in the bathroom. He, for sure, looks like a strung-out junkie. And Malcolm makes that assumption as well, telling him there are no drugs or prescription medications on the property, uh, so he should just leave. Just, you know... Skedaddle. You're free to go. Thank you. You've obviously come in here in error. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this guy isn't looking for a fix. What he really wants is to tell Malcolm... Uh, to keep hanging tough, because believe it or not, <laughs> this skinny ass tweaker is none other uh, than that teen heartthrob Donnie Wahlberg of New Kids on the Block. Looks nothing like him. N-K-O-T-B. Yeah, he lost 40 pounds to play this role. That's so crazy. That is some fucking dedication for less than five minutes of screen time. Yeah. I mean, he, he is unrecognizable.
1: Yeah, It wasn't until um, you brought it up, I think, a few minutes after the scene, you just kind of said that you're like, man, I really can't believe how much weight he lost or something like that. And I I was confused what you're talking about. (laughs) And I think even later on, I was like, yeah, that one guy. And you were like, "Uh, yeah, Donnie Wahlberg? I was like, yeah, him, whatever. It doesn't look like him. (laughs) Were you a fan of New Kids? No. No? No. It was... I think I remember my older sister maybe being a fan yeah but no it wasn't it wasn't my jam
0: yeah they were uh I was too old when they came along yeah
1: you were not a new kid on the block would you say <laughs>
0: I was. nope I was uh, a middle-aged kid on the block <laughs> I wasn't that old <laughs> plus I was more into the Backstreet Boys well yeah I mean secretly that's nothing you would like at, at my age, in my 20s, that's nothing I would have, like, ever admitted to friends. But when yeah. no one was in the car, oh, yeah, I'd blast that shit and knew every word yeah. of the songs.
1: Now they need to remake this, but with the Backstreet Boys. All, all the Backstreet Boys standing in the bathroom. <laughs> It's it my stomach. Are you picturing it?
0: <laughs> yes! <laughs> and they're also dancing. <laughs> and someone has their hat on backwards. <laughs> it's just. Oh. It makes the movie so much better.
1: It really does. Again, it, it's a whole different twist. <laughs> it
0: only enhances the film, I think. I mean. M. Night will be down for it. He loves a good twist. No one's expecting to see five, was it five? Five dudes. Yeah. Six? Five. I don't know.
1: Some guy friends in the bathroom together. <laughs>
0: in their undies. It's a whole different movie, man. Whole different movie.
1: Yeah. That would be... Uh, all I gotta say is M. Night, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, reach out (laughs) we can discuss some ideas the particulars yeah I don't want to dethrone you with the twists or anything but I got some things brewing
0: (laughs) we are working it out (laughs) all right well let's get back to this movie all right all right I'll sit back down (laughs) dang I wasn't even done with my Wahlberg facts you had me laughing too hard oh I'm sorry didn't mean to steal your Wahlberg fact time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this isn't his only appearance uh, on the darker side of film. Horror fans most notably recognize him as Eric Matthews from the Saw series. But he has a couple of other creepy credits, including Dreamcatcher and Dead Silence. You were just talking to me about that movie the other day.
1: Yeah, it's one that we definitely need to watch.
0: Well we learn that this is no ordinary junkie this is Vincent Gray a former patient of Malcolm's he waited for 10 years for Malcolm to help him to make him not afraid but Malcolm couldn't help him and Vince is upset 50,000 on his head it's disrespect <laughs> I can't. cannot say the word upset without drake getting in my head I think you I think you can I think at this point it's a choice No, it's the fact that you made me watch it like 10,000 times because it had Degrassi people in it. But it is what it is.
1: Now you're stuck with it, and now this is a choice you keep making. And and really, (laughs) I can't ask for anything more. I think it's perfect.
0: All right. Well, in addition to the fact that he's turned to drugs to help solve the problems that Malcolm couldn't, We also see he has an awful lot of scratches and bruises all over his body. Vincent asks Anna if she knows why she's so scared when she's alone in the house. Because he does. Which is a horrifying statement. Yes. What does that even mean? Is he psychic? Has he been living in the attic? I don't know, but I hate it. (laughs) It's very creepy and cryptid. Uh, he also has a nipple piercing, and I hate it. It's just just the, just the one, or yeah, you? he just the one. And it it just it's hanging a lot. <laughs> it just it doesn't look right. Yeah, I don't like. You know, <laughs> it's a personal choice, so go for it. I would never deny any. Just I don't want to see it. <laughs> you know, I like. Don't take your shirt off around me. Don't come in my bathroom, strip down to your skivvies, ask me if I know what freaks me out in my house. I wonder if it,
1: was it real? Was it really his? I don't know. I The only reason I ask is because, like, that seems like a very specific detail to a request for a character. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I know that that's not also out of the norm. You know, like, it's a full head-to-toe transformation. But, I don't know. I, I, I would be curious to know
0: if that was real or <laughs> if it was a character choice. I mean, I'm sure true fans of NKOTB n- know the answer to that question. Well, I need you guys to write in. <laughs> Let us know who had a poster of Wahlberg on their wall. No, with his nipple ring. Yeah. Okay. Or without. Say. That's that's the question. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care day. if you
1: just had a poster. I just need to know the answer. <laughs> nipple situation
0: (laughs) (laughs) well malcolm tries to calm vincent down but he insists that malcolm failed him and he pulls out a gun and shoots malcolm in the stomach and then turns the gun on himself anna rushes to malcolm's side to help stop the bleeding until help arrives fade to the courtyard of some very charming row houses In South Philadelphia and we learn it's now the following fall so almost a year later and Malcolm who appears to have survived his encounter with Vincent is sitting on a bench referring to his notes about a new case he's working on with a young boy named Cole Sear Cole is nine comes from a divorced family and lives alone with his mother and Malcolm has chosen this particular bench because it's right outside Cole's house As we see him exit, put on a pair of oversized glasses minus the lenses and walk quickly down the street. He's a little nervous Nelly.
1: I know, but he looks so cute. Oh my
0: God, he's so tiny.
1: (laughs) He really is. I I made note about that. I was like, he looks like a little baby in
0: this movie. Do you know he was actually 11 years old? Aww. He's just so tiny and adorable. Yes, but so good. Well, this, of course, is actor Haley Joel Osment, uh, who has a few other creepy credits under his belt, including Tusk, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. That's that one about Ted Bundy. Uh, He did an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. He also plays the voice of Sora in Kingdom Hearts. And that's not horror related at all. I just think your brother would never speak to either of us again if we didn't mention that.
1: Yeah, that's very true.
0: And I have no idea if I said that character's name correctly. You did. Did I? Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, good. Because I have no idea what I was saying.
1: (laughs) Well, as you said, uh, my brother would be disappointed if you didn't mention that, which means I've heard all about that uh, video game and all of his love for it. So, yes, you said it correctly.
0: Well, Malcolm continues to follow Cole until Cole ends up at a church and goes inside. When Malcolm enters, he finds Cole crouched down in one of the pews, setting up little different army men speaking a phrase in Latin, De profundus clamo adete domine. I have no idea if I pronounced any of that correctly. Uh, Malcolm introduces himself and says they had an appointment this morning and he apologizes for having missed it. He then explains to Cole how some people used to take sanctuary in churches to hide from things, as if to imply that's what Cole is doing. He asks Cole about his glasses and we learn they were his father's and the lenses hurt his eyes, so he popped them out. Malcolm also notices scratches and bruising on Cole's wrist. Cole asks Malcolm if he's a good doctor, and Malcolm tells him he used to be. So it appears Malcolm's had a bit of a struggle getting back into the groove of things since the incident with Vincent. He's been a bit off his game, would you say? A little bit. A little bit.
1: Seems like some hurdles might have come up. Might have slowed things down a little bit.
0: (laughs) Well, Cole packs up his little men and goes to leave, but stops to ask if he'll be seeing Malcolm again. Malcolm replies, if that's okay with you. And instead of giving him an answer, Cole just turns and leaves. But on his way out the door, Cole swipes a tiny plastic Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that takes some balls to steal from a church. Yeah. Let alone Jesus himself. Yeah. I want to kind of... uh karma that can bring on I, I don't know maybe ghosts well we do find out later it's for a, a, a good cause uh, but it was a funny little scene yeah yeah <laughs> just as he walks very quickly and just zoik just grows it as he walks by come on you're coming home with me <laughs> got another one <laughs> later that night malcolm returns home we see anna has had dinner alone cried herself to sleep as she has many tissues around Obviously, their relationship hasn't fared well since the incident, and Malcolm fears that since he's thrown himself into work again, he's left his wife to once again feel like she's second. Malcolm then goes to the door of the cellar where his office is located, and he finds the door is locked. He gets inside and starts going through several boxes of notes and past cases and research materials and pulls out an old Latin dictionary. He looks up the phrase Cole was speaking, and it translates to, Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Obviously, this is from the Bible. They are the first few words of Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Cole is asking for help, for mercy from his suffering. The next morning, we are in Cole and his mother, Lynn's home, along with their very adorable husky, Malamute. Cute little baby. Yeah, it's a little snow dog. Yes, the most handsome baby. <laughs> very good boy. <laughs> uh, well, Lynn is played by the amazing Tony Collette. This is the movie that I just absolutely became in awe of Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. She kills it in this yeah
1: she does I completely forgot that she was in it I for some reason I remember I mean I remembered that she was in it but I didn't remember that she played his mom I kept because you had mentioned it before we started watching it just because you usually start doing some preemptive research and stuff and uh you brought up her name and I was like I just couldn't remember exactly who she was so yeah it was really fun uh getting to fall in love with her playing this character all over again because I absolutely agree she does so well
0: Uh, She's just, she's absolutely amazing in this. She was up for the uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. I mentioned that in the wiki. I'd be interested to see who she was up against and who ended up winning.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because
0: I just, this performance just blows me out of the water every time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, of course, she is a Scream Queen favorite around here with some other creepy credits to her name, including the remake of Fright Night, krampus one of our favorites hereditary and velvet buzzsaw
1: i haven't seen velvet buzzsaw I've, I've heard mixed reviews about it but i i remember seeing the trailer and seeing that she was in it and similar to you anytime i see her i'm like okay i'll go see that movie and uh but i've heard mixed reviews about it but i definitely still want to see it just because i i adore her well we gotta fit it in on a series we, we can make it happen of course we can
0: Well, Lynn is bustling around trying to get the two of them ready for the day. And Cole comes in for breakfast and Lynn notices a stain on his school uniform tie. So she takes it back into the laundry room to clean it. She's gone for the room for exactly nine seconds. Yes, I counted. (laughs) And when she returns, almost all the cabinets and drawers in the kitchen are now open. But Cole is still sitting in his seat. She walks over and is like, um, were you were you looking
1: for something, maybe? <laughs> is there anything I could maybe help with? Uh stepladder or uh...
0: <laughs> Well he hesitates but then says Pop Tarts? But you can tell he's lying. Yeah. Like he says it like will you believe me if I say pop tarts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, uh they're they're right here, buddy. And he's like Oh, uh, what are you thinking, Mom? (laughs) Anything bad about me? I I mean, this poor baby, he is anxious, anxious, terrified little bean. Yeah, yeah. He is afraid of everything. But most of all, he's afraid of upsetting his mother and losing her love. Not, Not like in making her angry. Yeah. He's afraid she will think less of him. Uh, and she's all he's got. Mm-hmm. And he desperately does not want to lose her. And she just absolutely adores him. You you can tell. Uh, and she's just so worried about him. Mm-hmm. I, I love this little scene so much. It, it establishes so much so quickly about these characters and their dynamic together. Also the familial chemistry between Tony and Haley, Haley Joel. Does it go by both? I, I don't, don't know. know. I, I've never met him, uh, but they are <laughs> totally believable as mother and son. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, they were immediately this cohesive little family unit to me mm-hmm. and totally believable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few scenes like that uh, in the movie. And I know that I made note about them just, but just for that reason that like the, You can tell that the the chemistry is there Mm -hmm. and they play off each other so well. And I think that uh, is just part of what makes this movie as good as it is.
0: Oh, this movie would only be half of what it was if other people played these parts. Yeah, it it definitely these performances is what really put it over the top. Mm -hmm. Well, the doorbell rings and that's Tommy Cole's classmate that he walks to school with. Cole leaves the table and Lynn can see the outline of his tiny sweaty palm print on the table slowly evaporate. I love this little shot. Mm -hmm. It's it's cool, but it's somehow creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's a natural phenomenon. His little hands were sweaty. It's kind of cool in there. And he's Mm -hmm. on like this little Formica table. And so when you take your hand away that little condensation from your sweat stays and it evaporates very quickly, but you can kind of see your handprint, Mm -hmm. but it's, it just, you know, knowing this is a supernatural movie, it just has that very eerie ghostly feeling
1: to it. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I, uh, I also think that it just does such a good job, uh, without having to lay it on thick, how nervous he, again, kind of like what you said he had to lie to his mom in that situation and be like, uh, pop tarts, you know, cause he didn't want to freak her out or disappoint her. Mm-hmm. And you know, that in, in itself is making him n- nervous. Like, just like you said, he's just this poor bundle of nerves, this yeah. poor guy. <laughs> and yeah, I think that, you know, the whole sweating palms, sweating palms thing, you could tell that he was nervous and just ready to get out of there and get to class to get out of this situation. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's such a, interesting short scene that like just like
0: you said kind of portrays so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well Lynn then goes to the window and watches the two boys walk away as tommy helps cole with his bag and puts his arm around his shoulder as they walk away but don't fall for it tommy is not cole's friend as soon as they're out of eyesight tommy removes his hand uh, a move he improvised Gives Cole his bag back and calls him a freak. Apparently, Tommy did a commercial for cough syrup once, and now he thinks he's the shit. He's hot shit. He's good. Who doesn't like a good cough syrup commercial? <laughs> well, he got the shit part right. <laughs> well, later, after school, Lynn and Malcolm are sitting in the living room waiting as Cole arrives home. Lynn greets him, and they make up stories about how their day went. This is so adorable. Mm -hmm. Lynn claims that she won the lottery, quit both her jobs, and had a picnic in the park and swam in the fountain. Cole claims he was picked first for kickball at recess. He kicked a grand slam to win the game, and everyone lifted him up on their shoulders and carried him around cheering. So to celebrate their good fortune, Lynn goes off to make them some triangle pancakes and tells Cole he has an hour, leaving him alone with Malcolm. Again, it's just such a little thing, but it shows you their dynamic. Mm -hmm. And it happens in front of Malcolm, so he gets to witness that. And you can see him smiling and reacting, and he realizes, you know, obviously his troubles don't stem from the mother. Yeah. This is a good, healthy relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, Malcolm asks Cole if he wants to sit, but Cole isn't feeling it. So Malcolm asks if he wants to play a game. Malcolm will try to read Cole's mind. For every right statement Malcolm makes, Cole has to take a step closer to the chair. For every one he gets wrong, Cole can take a step back toward the door. If he reaches the chair, he has to sit. He reaches the door, he's free to leave. Cole agrees to play. So Malcolm makes some silly little noises like he's accessing his psychic abilities. <laughs> and then he says, "When your folks split, your mom went to see a doctor just like me, and he couldn't help her, and that's why you're worried I can't help you." And Cole takes a step toward the chair. You're worried that she told him things, things she couldn't tell anyone else. Secrets. Cole takes another step to the chair. You have a secret, but you don't want to tell me. Another step to the chair, and now he's standing right next to it. Malcolm then notices Cole's watch. It's old and beat up and way too big for Cole. Mm -hmm. He says, your dad gave you that watch as a present before he went away. Cole takes his first step away from the chair. He says he left it in a drawer doesn't even work. Malcolm then tells him he keeps pretty quiet in school, but he's a good student and never really been in serious trouble. Cole takes his second step away from the chair and says, I once drew a picture of a man stabbing another man in the neck with a screwdriver. Wow, this took a turn. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the sweet
0: baby Haley joel osmond has turned out to be evil <laughs> yeah all of a sudden it's the omen look for the six 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 it's in his hair look in the hair it's always in the hair <laughs> <laughs> well malcolm asks if that's something that he saw on tv and cole takes another step back cole says everyone got upset and they had a meeting Mom cried, so I don't draw like that anymore. Now I draw rainbows, because they don't have meetings about rainbows. Cole then turns and sees how close he is to the door and asks Malcolm what he's thinking now. Malcolm confesses he has no idea what Cole is thinking, and Cole tells him he was thinking that he's really nice, but he can't help him and he turns and leaves the room again another (laughs) amazingly powerful scene
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I really like the scene especially getting to kind of see again see Bruce Willis and Haley Joel uh be able to interact in the scene and I really every time that I've, I've watched this movie uh whenever Bruce Willis begins that whole like I'm gonna read your mind thing and he starts getting on that like child's level of kind of being a little cheesy and funny and stuff like that I just think it's so sweet and it's genuine and you can tell that as a character he is passionate about trying to help this kid out and you Mm -hmm. know whatever that means whether that means talking to him at his age level treating him as an adult you know however he needs to do or whatever he needs to do to be able to communicate and help him the best he can and I just think it's really cute genuine Interaction between
0: them well next we see Malcolm arriving at a restaurant where Anna has just finished up her meal he jokes I thought you meant the other Italian restaurant I asked you to marry me in obviously he's late and has missed their anniversary dinner due to work he explains how he had a bad session with Cole and how much he reminds him of Vincent so that's an interesting statement mm-hmm But this is pretty much a one-sided conversation. Anna is justifiably upset, and when Malcolm reaches for the check to pay it, she snatches it first. He tries to apologize, but she just tells him happy anniversary, and gets up from the table and leaves. Next, we see Malcolm and Cole walking down the sidewalk together, and Cole is asking Malcolm not to look at him. Cole is used to people staring, making fun of him, and calling him a freak so he doesn't like it when people stare at him because it makes him uncomfortable dude same (laughs) (laughs) i identify with cole except for the dead people part (laughs) malcolm asks if cole ever talks to his mom about his troubles but he says no because she doesn't look at him like other people do and he never wants her to so he doesn't want her to know that he's a freak which upsets Malcolm, who tells him, you are not a freak, and if anyone tries to tell you you are, that's bullshit, which shocks Cole because he said the S-word, which seems (laughs) to be the biggest thing he took away from this conversation. Such a kid (laughs) thing to say. It really is. It was adorable, though. It really was. I just want to put him in my pocket. (laughs) Well, next we see Lynn jamming to some tunes on her Discman while doing some laundry. She stops in the hall and looks at all the photos she has of Cole. And I guess this is the first time she ever really paid attention to him because she now notices that in every photo there appears to be some sort of light phenomenon, which is weird, right? You know, it's like either a lens thing or is that a reflection? You know, what are the, and why is it in every photo? Mm-hmm. And also, he's nine. Most of these have been there since he was very little. Yeah. Why are you just now noticing? (laughs) I just thought it was weird.
1: She just remembered that she had a son. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: Look, he's so cute. I I was wondering whose tiny clothes these were. (laughs) Well, next we see Cole and Malcolm in the living room. Malcolm is on the couch and Cole is playing behind it. Malcolm is explaining to Cole how sometimes we do things that seem unintentional but are really intentional to get someone's attention, like perhaps leave something out on a desk for someone to find, which just happens to be exactly what Cole did. But it turns out Cole had done some automatic writing, uh, and he had left it on a journal page that his mom found. But it said things like, Quiet the damn baby and I'll kill you all. Just kid things. I mean, can you imagine as a parent? No, I would lose my everything. Oh my gosh. I I would be like, what are the signs of a serial killer?
1: I'd be like, how much do I have to pay you to leave my home?
0: <laughs> are you too old for me to leave you at a fire station? <laughs>
1: Here is fifty dollars and a bus ticket. Um, figure things out. I have packed your bag.
0: What you do from here is your own decision.
1: You will notice that all your clothes are wet. That's because they were soaking in holy water. I will see you later, and I bid you adieu. Thank you.
0: Adieu. <laughs> Well, as Malcolm is leaving at the end of their session, Malcolm tells Cole he wants him to think about what he would like to get out of these sessions. Cole asks if it could be anything, even something he doesn't want to happen. Malcolm assures him it could be anything, and Cole tells him he doesn't want to be scared anymore. That's a powerful statement.
1: Yeah, it really is, especially coming from... A kiddo like that it just it breaks your heart because you of course you want to do anything you can to help them achieve that
0: well next back at home down in his office Malcolm is doing more research on Cole's case when he hears a knock at the door upstairs he hollers for Anna to answer it which she eventually does it turns out it's one of her employees that works at her antique shop and he's going on a day trip to a flea market and wants to know if she wants to join him because it seems like she's been down lately. It's obvious this guy is trying to make the moves on her, but Anna's not taken the bait, and Malcolm, though irritated by the exchange, is relieved. The boldness.
1: <laughs> yes, it is very bold. Although I do have to say... I think it's like totally unrealistic that he just would like stay down there in the basement and listen to this conversation happen.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I'd be going up the stairs and walking up behind her going, how you doing, buddy?
1: (laughs) Just checking in
0: things. (laughs) Checking on you, her, me, uh, us. Wondering if it was raining outside. Seems to be all right. (laughs) You may go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for checking in. You can leave now. Thank you. Well, now at Cole's school, the class is getting a history lesson, and the teacher asks if anyone knows what their school used to be before it was a school. Cole raises his hand and says they used to hang people here. They'd take them away from their families, and people would spit on them. The teacher tells him that's wrong, that this place used to be a courthouse, and there used to be lawyers and judges here. Cole says that's who used to hang the people, but the teacher says that's still incorrect and that some of the other kids must have been teasing him if they told him that. But Cole doesn't like the teacher is staring at him and he starts freaking out saying stop staring at me. I don't like it when people stare at me. And then all of a sudden he starts saying back when you went to school here they used to call you a stuttering Stanley. You're a stuttering Stanley. A stuttering Stanley. Which sets the teacher off into stuttering fits. Wondering how Cole could possibly have known that. And Cole is still screaming, stuttering Stanley, stuttering Stanley, and the kids are laughing and all this chaos is going on until the teacher finally blows up and says, shut up, you freak. Sad. Teachers, do not call your kids freaks. Never. It's not nice. Oh my gosh.
1: Kids, do not call your teachers stuttering Stanleys. <laughs> also
0: not nice. I don't care what the ghosts tell you. You keep it to yourselves. Ghost conversation is private. <laughs> well next we see cole sitting in the library by himself while we can hear the rest of the kids outside for recess malcolm comes in and sits down with cole but cole says he doesn't want to talk about anything right now malcolm asks if he likes magic and proceeds to do a trick with a penny that basically isn't a trick at all and cole is not amused but it was never meant to be a good magic trick. It was supposed to be funny and lighten the mood. And Cole says, in the most deadpan way possible, I didn't know you were funny. <laughs> well, next we see Malcolm arrive back at home, and Anna has left their wedding video playing in the den. And a very drunk bridesmaid is telling Malcolm how much Anna loves him. And they are just the most asbestos couple that ever coupled. <laughs> And then we see them kiss at their wedding and it's beautiful and sweet and you just want these two crazy kids to make it. Well Malcolm goes upstairs and sees Anna in the shower, but he also notices some pills in the medicine cabinet for Zoloft. Looks like everything is not fine in Anna's world. Well next we see Cole at a classmate's birthday party. We learn from his mother's conversation with the birthday boy's mother that Cole doesn't usually get invited to places much, so this is really special for him. Well, Cole is showing Malcolm's magic trick with the penny to another kid, but the kid just says it's stupid and wants his penny back. Next, Cole sees a red balloon float up the stairs, so he decides to follow it.
1: A little Pennywise foreshadowing? Is that what we got going on here?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I would not go. There's going to be some deadlights up there. Yeah. It's bad news.
1: But he just meanders all the way up there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, almost at the top, he begins to hear a voice come from a small door to a dumbwaiter in the wall. It's the voice of a man demanding to be let out, but we can see clearly that the door is open and no one is in there. But the voice keeps insisting to be let out. He swears he didn't take the master's horse, and if someone doesn't open the door, he'll break through and grab you. So here we have apparently, for the first time, finally experienced what Cole experiences when he encounters a spirit. Well, next, jerk-faced Tommy and birthday boy Darren head upstairs to see what Cole is looking at. They tell him they're going to play a game called Locked in the Dungeon, and they proceed to shove Cole in the tiny door and close it, which somehow locks, and now Cole is trapped inside with whatever angry spirit has been trapped in there for centuries. Of course, Cole starts screaming and banging on the door while Tweedledee and Tweedledum just stand (laughs) there. Cole's screaming finally gets Lynn's attention, and she heads up to see what's going on. She pushes past the boys and grabs the door, trying to get it open as Cole continues to scream and cry for help, but it's locked and she can't get in. The commotion has now gotten the attention of the entire party, and Lynn is losing her mind trying to get to Cole, when all of a sudden, Cole's screaming stops. The room goes quiet, and the door unlatches. Lynn pulls an unconscious Cole from the Dunwaiter and rushes him to the hospital. Next is my least favorite scene in this whole movie. I hate it so much. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we see our director, uh, M. Night himself, playing Cole's doctor. And he's explaining to Lynn that it doesn't appear Cole has had a seizure. So they just have no idea what might be wrong with him. Oh, and we also notice a bunch of bumps and bruises on him. So we're going to go ahead and accuse you of child abuse. So at this point, Lynn has really had it, and Shyamalan's bad acting isn't helping matters. Also, I don't understand his reasoning for shooting this scene with that damn child's toy covering their faces the whole time. I was like, could we not move that off the fucking table? Why is it right across your faces and every shot it drives me crazy? Not a fan. I'm fine. I'm fine. It seems as if things are not fine. <laughs> I think from now on, Shyamalan needs to take a more Hitchcockian approach to his cameos. Think much less talking and more just sitting next to Gregory Peck on a bus. Just just show up so people can go, oops, saw your face. You were there. I spotted you. <laughs> Don't speak words, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next we see Malcolm go into Cole's hospital room. He tries to tell him a bedtime story to help cheer him up, but he's really bad at it. He tells a story about a prince who gets in a car and starts driving for a really long time. He's just driving and driving. I thought he was describing the opening to Night of the Living Dead.
1: (laughs) That would be a very accurate description.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, Cole stops him and tells him his storytelling sucks. He says he needs to get some twists in there for it to be good, which I never picked up on that before, that he had said that. Yeah. You know, he foreshadowed not what the twist was, just that there was going to be one. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So Cole wants to hear a story about why Malcolm is so sad all the time. So Malcolm says, once upon a time, there was a doctor that worked with kids, and he loved it more than anything else. Then one night, he found out he made a mistake with one of them, and he couldn't help that one. And he can't stop thinking about that one. And ever since then, things have been different. He's not the same person that he used to be. And his wife doesn't like the person that he's become, and they barely speak anymore. Then one day, Malcolm meets this amazing little boy who reminds him a lot of the other one. And Malcolm believes if he can help this new boy, it'll be like helping that other one, too. So Cole decides he's ready to share his story with Malcolm. And there's no other way to say it than Cole sees dead people. He can see ghosts. That's it. That's it. There you go. He sees the spirits walking around. got them ghost eyes. Well of course this gets Malcolm's attention Uh, and he's like just like out and about just in cemeteries and stuff. He's like nope, just walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see and they don't know they're dead. So Malcolm asks him how often he sees them and Cole tells him all the time. Well, next we see Malcolm outside the hospital dictating notes into a recorder. He says that Cole is much worse than he thought and appears to be suffering from hallucinations, which could possibly be caused by some sort of school-age schizophrenia and that hospitalization and medication may be required. Basically, Malcolm doesn't believe him.
1: Yeah. He's definitely trying to uh, take the psychology approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, you gotta believe the kid, right? I I don't know. I you have to be a little worried.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would definitely be on the fence, but I think I would. I don't know. Guess ask a few questions, see if how serious, you know, because kids say such weird things sometimes. Yeah. So I feel like I would be like inclined to kind of like.
0: You gotta be sure. Yeah. You gotta be sure. There's not like a brain tumor or there's something else going on. Just be sure. When Lynn brings Cole home from the hospital and puts him to bed, she notices two large slices in his sweater, which also sliced through to his shirt, which also left two deep scratches on his back. Lynn is furious and immediately calls the boy's mother that locked him in the dumbwaiter and tells her they need to keep their son's damn hands off her boy. Mama bear mode. Oh man. Poor tough mama bear mode activated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, later that night, Cole wakes up and has to go pee. It starts off as such a cute little scene. He's peeking out his bedroom door, looking down the hall, checking for the boogeyman, doing his little pee-pee dance because he has to go so bad. And we can all relate to that moment from when we were kids. Knowing you have to go, but it's dark and scary and you have to make a plan to get there quickly and safely. You you kind of run down the hallway, (laughs) flip switches on really quickly. Sometimes you got to do that soldier belly crawl. Yeah, you got to do what you can. I mean, if you stand up too high, they can see you. Safety first. Well, Cole makes it to the restroom and starts doing his business. And we see the temperature in the house dramatically lower, like 20 degrees in a matter of seconds. As we see Cole from behind taking his little whiz, someone crosses in front of the camera out in the hall. It is... A very good jump scare. Yes. Because it's an—it's just like last week's in The Conjuring. It's those moments where it's quiet. hmm And then all of a sudden there's noise and it's <laughs> yes. loud and it makes you jump. You're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cole turns his head, but whoever it was is already gone. But we can now see Cole's breath. It's so cold in the house. Cole finishes up and very hesitantly walks down the hall toward the kitchen where we can see the light from the refrigerator is lighting up the room and someone can be heard looking for something. What would you do? Go back to bed or go to the kitchen?
1: I don't know. Because I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to approach them in the kitchen, but also I'm not doing anything that's helping the situation by going to the bedroom. I'd probably just run to my
0: mom's room and pee on the floor and scream for help. Yeah, I think that's the first thing I do is check to see if mom's in bed. Mm -hmm. If she is, then we call people quickly.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Everybody you can call. Grab a phone book, start making calls, and let them know
0: mom's in bed and there's a stranger in the kitchen. (laughs) Yes, because I'm sure she'd sleep through the whole thing. (laughs) Shh, by the way, uh, there's someone in my kitchen. I don't want to wake her. She has to work early. (laughs) Well, Cole gets to the kitchen door and sees his mom at the kitchen counter with her back to him. He says, Mama, but the woman who turns around is definitely not his mama. And she starts screaming that no, dinner is not ready. And what are you going to do? You can't hurt me anymore. And she holds out her wrists to reveal that she has slit them. We can also see almost all the cabinets and drawers are now open. So this is our first known ghost sighting, and she is the one responsible for opening the cabinets in the house. So Cole never gave a shit about them (laughs) Pop-Tarts. Turns out he doesn't even like (laughs) (laughs) Pop-Tarts. Which is a shame because they're quite delicious. They really are. How weird is it that we've watched two movies pretty recently that featured breakfast pastries pretty prominently? This one and then in Jennifer's Body. Remember Needy? If she didn't get her toastums,
1: uh, yeah, her toast, her, yeah, her you toastums, get, yeah,
0: you get the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> what is the deal with pop tarts and toastums? Water? I don't know. I mean, they go with anything, really. They're delicious.
1: They are. They are absolutely delicious.
0: Ghost approved,
1: <laughs>
0: for sure. Well, this encounter, of course, terrifies Cole, and it sends him running back to his room, where he takes shelter in a blanket fort. That he has set up in his room. All while he can hear the ghost screaming from the bedroom. You're a terrible husband, Nettie. I mean, that would be absolutely horrifying as a child. Yes. As an adult, this <laughs> this would be a pretty shitty moment for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. I just, I cannot even imagine.
1: I know that I would have a fort just like his that I could hide into. I mean,
0: I, I would need better walls. Blankets aren't going to do much, I feel. (laughs) Well, we get a look inside the fort, and Cole has set up his own personal sanctuary. He has all kinds of plastic Jesuses and Virgin Marys and crucifixes and army men and anything he can get his hands on that he feels might offer him a bit of protection. He just sits in here and whimpers, gripping his flashlight, and you just want to hold him and tell him it's going to be
1: okay. I know every time I watch this scene that it like breaks my heart because you you're seeing him deal with all this all alone. You know, this is the this is the moment that we really see how much he's he's trying to shoulder on his own as a kid mm-hmm. and you know not wanting to make others think he's you know quote unquote a freak or disappoint his mom and so yeah he's he's basically trying to handle all this on his own while being so scared and so yeah you kind of see see, uh, these kind of desperate cries and yeah it's it's heartbreaking because you just want this little kid to be okay
0: yeah again this is just another testament to the performances here he's just so darn good in this and and in this scene in particular you really feel that he is terrified yeah yeah it's so good well next we're back at cole's school and they are putting on a school play and we see about 50 parents all pick up camcorders Uh, and for all the young whippersnappers that was the equivalent of pulling up your phone to record But it's like these giant bricks everybody pulled up. Yeah. "Yeah." And they all made a noise as you turn them on. It's like, gee. Well, we see jerk face Tommy has the lead, of course. And Cole is probably just a tree somewhere. I don't see him. Uh, (laughs) But afterwards, we see Malcolm has come to see the play. This is the most hands-on psychiatrist I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I've been to therapy and not once did my therapist ever meet me anywhere other than her office? Yeah. No house calls. No popping up at my talent shows. I don't think I'd want them to. No. You don't need... You need. You will know what I give you. <laughs> <laughs> don't come get it yourself. Yeah. It's rude. You've not been invited. <laughs> well, Cole stops in the hall because he can see three people in period clothing hanging in a stairwell. It's a family of three, a mother, a father, and their young son. I do not want to look up in history why we would execute children. Do not need to know that.
1: Yeah, me neither.
0: And this is how Cole knows they used to hang people here when it was a courthouse, and Stuttering Stanley was the one that was a big old fat poopy face freak. (laughs) (laughs) You jerk. You just a jerk. I hope you get lice.
1: Learn your facts or get out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Cole tells Malcolm he can see them, but Malcolm says he can't. So Cole tells him to be real still. He says sometimes you feel them inside, like you're falling down real fast, but you're still standing. he says, you know those tingles you get on the back of your neck and the little hairs that stand up on your arms? That's them. And when they get mad, it gets cold. Cole then asks Malcolm to please make them leave. And Malcolm tells him, I'm working on it. Well, next we get uh, just this lovely little reprieve from, you know, this little roller coaster of emotions we've been having. It's the sweet little scene uh, coming out of the grocery store, going through the parking lot, and Cole's in the shopping basket. Yeah, yeah. And she just starts pushing it. And he just kind of closes his eyes and pretends like he's flying. And it's just another sweet moment. Not a single word is said. Yeah. But again, it just captures that relationship. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of small moment in their lives where they can kind of, uh, they've forgotten about the chaos going on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, next we see Lynn and Cole sitting down for dinner and Lynn is complaining about the cold. She also tells Cole that she found Grandma's bumblebee pendant that Cole took and wants him to admit that he took it. But he keeps insisting that he didn't take it. He tells her that sometimes people think things are lost when really they just get moved. But Lynn is convinced that Cole is lying, so she sends him to bed. We see Cole head off down the hall to his room, but the puppy, remember they have that cute little snow dog, Comes running out of Cole's room down the hall past him. Cole turns to see what's up with the dog and we see a young teenage boy dressed in probably 70s era clothing cross from the hall to the left into Cole's room. Hate it. I remember this scene so vividly from when I saw it in the theater Mm -hmm. because Cole turns back around just in time to see him disappear through the door so he knows he's in there. But the kid comes back out into the hall and says, hey, come on. I'll show you where my dad keeps his gun. And when he turns around to go back in Cole's room, we can see the back of his head is missing. Yes. Oh, my God. And it's another one of those jump scares, which doesn't sound like it should be. But it's another one of those that music comes up real loud Mm -hmm. right as he turns And you're just, you're not expecting to see the back of this kid's head gone. Yeah, yeah. It's very jolting. Well, we see Lynn is trying to get Sebastian, the dog, out of hiding. And Cole comes in to ask that she's not too mad. Can he sleep with her tonight? Well, of course, she's not too mad, and they are just the cutest, and I want them to be a real family so much. Yes, I she, love this scene. She is just so worried about him and doesn't know what to do to help him. Mm-hmm. That has got to be so frustrating as a parent.
1: Yeah, this the, the scene, I think, uh, is one of my favorites, just getting to see their uh, dynamic working together. And it's just so, again, this movie kind of does a really good job at showing. Uh, people's personal desperation to find answers uh and and you can see that here with uh his mom you know he comes in and he's upset and she's holding him and he's shaking and she's just like please tell me what's going on Mm -hmm. and she's kind of basically begging him and you know squeezing him and uh and like giving him hugs Mm -hmm. and, and crying and stuff and yeah you just kind of see this mom desperate to help her son but she doesn't have the answers she doesn't know what's going on or how to help him
0: Well next we have a silly little scene with a couple looking at an engagement ring in Anna's antique shop. It's a nice little comic relief moment before we see Anna giving her employee, the same one that tried to get her to go to that flea market, a Christmas gift. And they share an embrace that's a little too intimate and the glass on the front door of the shop gets smashed. They run outside to see the cause, but don't see what could have possibly hit it, but we see that Malcolm has witnessed the whole exchange and is walking away down the street. Next we hear Cole ask Malcolm what he wants more than anything, and Malcolm tells him he wishes he could talk to his wife again the way they used to talk to each other. And in order to do that, he can't be Cole's doctor anymore. He hasn't paid enough attention to his own family, and bad things happen when you do that. Nicole begins to cry and begs him not to fail him. He's the only one who can help him. He just knows it. But now Malcolm is crying and says, someone else can help you. Nicole asks Malcolm if he believes him, if he believes his secret. And Malcolm just says he doesn't know how to answer that. Cole then passes a penny over to Malcolm and says, how can you help me if you don't believe me? some magic is real later Malcolm is back in his office in the cellar and is thinking back to the night with the incident with Vincent and remembers him asking Anna if she knew why she was afraid when she was alone because he did and it makes him wonder what he meant by that could Vincent be like Cole did Vincent see dead people too So Malcolm gets out the audio tapes that he made of his sessions with Vincent and begins to listen. He gets to a part in the recording where Malcolm had to leave the room to take a call, and Vincent is left alone. At least, that's what Malcolm thought at the time. But when he plays the tape and turns the volume up full blast, a man can be heard speaking in Spanish to Vincent, saying over and over, Please, I don't want to die, Lord. Save me, save me. Malcolm rushes to find Cole and meets up with him in the church where they first met. Cole can tell that something has happened and asks Malcolm if he's wigging out. Well, obviously, Malcolm believes Cole, and so he asks him what he thinks the ghosts want when they talk to him. Cole believes they want help, and Malcolm agrees. He thinks the only way to make them go away is to listen to them and find out what they want and ultimately help them. It's a tall order for a nine year old, don't you think? Yes. I mean I've been around nine year olds before. You can barely get them to pick their underwear off the floor, let alone counsel the spirit world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot of <laughs> a lot of pressure to put on a little guy to just kind of solve the paranormal's problems and issues. <laughs> He's like, listen, just listen to their problems. Figure it out. I gotta go. (laughs) Maybe you can make lists.
0: (laughs) Get organized. It'll be fine. You'll figure something out. I have faith in you. Maybe you can get an assistant. (laughs) Well, that night, Malcolm is returning home and sees Anna's asshole employee leaving the house and getting into his car. Malcolm tries to chase him down the street, but he drives off before he can catch up to him. This guy does not quit; he really doesn't he He just keeps on keeping on, which I feel like I would be annoyed by <laughs> just just a bit, <laughs> and perhaps Malcolm should stand up for himself more, like you know set some boundaries,
1: yeah, maybe say like people can't come over here and ask to date you. <laughs>
0: that's uh, all right I mean just get right to the point (laughs) I like it well meanwhile back at Cole's Lynn is having a nightmare that wakes Cole up he goes into her room and very sweetly comforts her and quiets her head as she falls back into restful sleep they hurt my heart so much
1: I know again it's just so good
0: their dynamic is just it's chef's kiss Cole goes back to his room, but the temperature drops again, and he knows something is coming. He gets to his blanket fort and has to quickly set up the clothespins back that hold it closed. He gets inside and turns his flashlight on as we see his breath, and we know something is on its way. Just then, the clothespins on the fort start popping off one by one from the outside, Until appearing inside is a young girl, a little older than Cole's age, vomiting and crying. Cole runs out of the fort and hides behind the couch in the living room. But Cole remembers what Malcolm said and knows he needs to find out what the girl wants. So he now does the bravest thing (laughs) anyone on the planet. I mean, woman, man, child, anyone has ever done. I couldn't do it. No, there's no way.
1: Could not do it. I could not, and I won't. I refuse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But he goes back to his fort, which got knocked down when he ran out so fast, and the blanket is now draped over and covering the girl. Like, you can still see she's sitting there. Yeah. There's just a blanket. It is so creepy.
1: Yes, it's very unsettling, because it just kind of, like, further alludes that I don't... That they don't know that they're dead or that they just don't care and they're just going to wait until he answers them. Yeah, it's just
0: sitting there. Why Um, is it not? Oh, God. I would,
1: yep, I would shit my pants.
0: It's a shit, it's a shit pants moment. I'll give it to you. Yeah. Thank you. I need one
1: every once in a while. (laughs) I feel like all of our listeners are just going to think that I I shit my pants. (laughs) From like how many times? They're going to be like really... This
0: podcaster I know (laughs) has a serious pooping issue. Well, you know, you've set yourself up for this. So I I really have. I mean, you you shit in it, you gotta sit in it. That's (laughs) what I say. That's what you just said, and I appreciate it. You know, going on a t-shirt.
1: That's my next saying. No longer am I gonna shit my pants.
0: (laughs) I'm just gonna shit in it and sit in it. Well, Cole uncovers the girl, and she throws up again, and then says... I'm feeling much better now. Okay, cool. Uh, does ghost vomit have to be cleaned up?
1: Also, I don't feel much better now. so <laughs> I'm glad you're situated, but now
0: I'm freaked. Well, Cole then ask her if she wants to tell him something. Uh, so did you recognize this young lady when you saw her? Yeah, it's Misha Barton. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I, I had no idea that's who that was. Yeah, yeah. Well, she has also been in a shit ton of other creepy credits you've probably never heard of, including Paranoid, Walled In, Cyberstalker, I Will Follow You Into the Dark, Apartment 1303, A Resurrection, The Hoarder, L.A. Slasher, The Malevolent, A Toy Box, Ouija House, and The Basement. I mean, my God. I've not heard of a single one. No. But I'm glad that they're out there. Uh, you know, making a living.
1: Good for her. Yeah. That's what this podcast is for. Now I'm going to watch every single one of them. You better believe it. <laughs> we could do a Misha Barton month. Um, a Misha March. <laughs> M- M- Misha, mission, Misha May. and M- nope. I was really trying to make something
0: I, I better like than Misha March.
1: <laughs> okay, let's say better than that because that
0: was my peak. But, you know, you peaked well. Thank you. I mean, in that situation, that's got to be an Everest.
1: Thank you. (laughs) And we can say, welcome back to... I get it. It's two M's. I gotcha. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, this went over her head. (laughs) Of all my jokes.
0: (laughs) Well, for a second, you kind of sound like Bert from Sesame Street. So (laughs) I thought we were just going in a different direction. I got you.
1: Well, I'm glad you caught up. Welcome back. It's it's good to be here.
0: I like you here. You're here. It's cool. (laughs) Well, next we see Cole and Malcolm traveling on a bus. See, this would have been the perfect spot for Shayamalan to show up. Just sitting across the aisle, not speaking or having stupid shit on a table covering his face. Still bitter about that. I just, I don't understand directional choice but it's his and you know it doesn't fine (laughs) the bus takes them across town and they arrive at a house where they're having a wake this is Kira's house the young vomiting girl that Cole encountered in his fort she sent Cole here to complete a task for her so her spirit can move on as they walk through the mourners they spot Kira's little sister and we also overhear someone say They can't imagine dealing with a child that was sick in bed for two years, and that the younger sister might be sick now, too. Cole and Malcolm make their way upstairs, and Malcolm waits out in the hall while Cole goes in Kira's room. As Cole is looking around, trying to figure out what he's here to find, when he steps next to Kira's bed, she reaches out from underneath it and grabs his ankle, sending him flying backwards to the floor. If you haven't seen the trailer for this movie, that moment will scare the crap out of you. Yes. But it was very prominently featured in the trailer, mm-hmm. so everyone knew that one was coming. But, oh, that's it's still a good moment. Yes. Well, we got Kira and her creepy fucking death eyes. Why does she have to look like that? <laughs> Maybe people would be more willing to help her if she didn't look like a fucking creep. <laughs> well, she slides a box over to Cole. Cole takes the box downstairs and finds Kira's dad and gives it to him, telling him she wanted to tell him something. He then turns and leaves, and Dan opens the box, revealing a VHS tape. He plays the tape, which at first just shows Kira putting on a puppet show. But she hears someone coming and puts them aside and jumps back in bed and pretends she's asleep, but forgets to turn off the camera. Her mother comes in with lunch and sets the tray right in front of where the camera is filming, but can't see it because it's hidden in the back of Kira's shelves. We see her mom leave the room again, but then return with a bottle of pine cleaner of which she pours a capful into Kira's soup. This is a classic case of Munchausen by proxy, and it was the mother that was keeping her daughter sick For two years, eventually leading to her death. By the end of the tape, everyone has gathered around to watch. And the father confronts the mother, accusing her of their daughter's murder in front of everyone. She's so busted. This whole scene is so
1: intense. Oh, man.
0: I remember the first time I was just like,
1: what? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Obviously, we have our other podcasts where we have previously covered different stories of true crime, but I also listen to true crime podcasts myself, and anytime I hear stories of Munchausen by proxy, I just think it's so interesting. It, it, I think just the psychology of it all, it's something that just blows my mind, uh, and I think its use in this movie is, is really well done, just because I think it kind of helps us see Cole to be able to help another kid in his similar to him who can't ask for help, who can't rely on the adults in their lives, uh, and you know it went too far with Kira, but now he has the opportunity to save Kira's younger sister, and I just think it's such a co- a great scene. Like I said, it's super intense watching uh, the tape and then seeing uh, the dad confront the mom, but it's just overall it's so good, and I. I really liked that direction that he took it with this with this spirit and
0: and using Cole to help the spirit in this in this manner it's just really well done. Well next we see Cole outside with the younger sister and he is giving her a toy from Kira's room and tells her that Kira said she always liked it and that she always tried to look out for her. Well next we see Cole at school and he's getting ready for another school play and there's a woman in there helping him get ready when Stuttering Stanley comes in and tells him that they're ready for the stable boy. He then asks Cole who he was talking to as we see the woman that was helping Cole leave the room, turning as she does, revealing burns across her left side. This is obviously another ghost, and Cole just tells Stuttering Stanley he was practicing his lines. As they're walking up to back of stage... Stanley tells Cole that when he went to school there, there was a terrible fire in this section of the theater, and it had to be rebuilt. Cole just says he knows. We learn the kids are putting on the play The Sword and the Stone, and we've reached the moment when Arthur is to pull the sword. A boy playing Merlin announces that only he who is pure of heart can pull the sword from the stone. Let the boy try. To which jerk-faced Tommy comes limping up, and just when you think he's got the lead again, he says, But he's a stable boy and just cleans up after the horses. To which Merlin says, Silence, village idiot! Let the boys step forward. And the rest of the class moves away to reveal that, indeed, Cole is that star of this show. (laughs) And he steps up and pulls the sword from the stone. And the kids all cheer and lift him up on their shoulders. But they're kids, and they're clumsy, and they all fall over and just laugh and laugh. And we also see Malcolm is again in attendance. Dude, get a job. He loves plays. I mean, kids' plays are the best. They're not boring and ridiculous at all.
1: They keep you on your toes. You
0: never know what's going to happen. And he needs that excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after the play, Malcolm tells Cole that he thought he was really good and that Tommy Tamasimo sucked big time. Cole is now a laughing, happy child, and Malcolm found a way to help him. Cole tells Malcolm he thought of a way that he can talk to his wife. He suggests that he talk to her when she's asleep. Then she'll listen to you, and she won't even know it. Cole then says, I'm not going to see you anymore, am I? And Malcolm answers, I think we've said everything we need to say. Maybe it's time to say things to someone closer to you. Meaning it's time to start talking to your mom's little dude. <laughs> so Cole says, "Maybe we can just pretend we're gonna see each other tomorrow." And Malcolm says, "Okay, I'll see you tomorrow, Cole." And he leaves.
1: That's so cute. It
0: it really is. It's a sweet moment that you know they've they've come to the conclusion of their journey. Yeah, he's, he's helped them. Cole's at a spot that he can now help himself, and that's ultimately. What Malcolm wanted for him. Mm-hmm. Well, next we cut to what appears to be a car accident, only we can't see the accident. We just see cops putting out flares and blocking the street off. Further back in traffic, Lynn and Cole are stuck in their car waiting for things to clear. Cole decides, since they've got the time, now he's ready to tell his mom his secret. And people, I cannot do this scene justice. This is one of the most beautifully acted scenes I've ever seen in my life. It brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. So just know this is way more intense than how I'm describing it. (laughs) So Cole tells Lynn he's ready to communicate with her now, which is a weird way to put it. He says, You know that accident up there? A lady died and Lynn says oh my god you can see her where is she and Cole says yeah she's standing right by my window can you imagine your kid says this to you no I just I don't it's tough because it's like
1: I I feel like you know your motherly instincts would kick in and you'd want to be like what's going on here it needs more deets explain what's happening here because I'm scared But also, there's another side of me that would just be like, nope, I can't handle this. I know that you are a child and you don't understand this, but I'm also an adult and I don't understand this. And we cannot handle this alone.
0: (laughs) We can't be friends. (laughs) Get the fuck out of the car. And we can no
1: longer be mother and
0: son. So (laughs) you've got to go. Please get an Uber. (laughs) It's time to move on. You're old enough for an apartment now. (laughs) And pack your own lunch <laughs> you've got this it's fine
1: full faith in you not only do we need you to solve the paranormal world's problems but we also need you to get a job and start paying your own bills thank you so much peace out love mom <laughs> xoxo
0: <laughs> gossip girl
1: different movie show
0: well, she tells Cole he's scaring her, and he says that they scare him sometimes, too. He's like, uh, yeah, hashtag same mom. I'm the <laughs> one that can see the dead people. Oh uh, right there with you. Samesies. <laughs> well, he explains that he can see the ghost, and they ask him to do things for him. They're also the ones that used to hurt him. He then tells her that Grandma says hi. She says she's sorry for taking the bumblebee pendant. She just likes it a lot. But this starts to upset Lynn, and she asks Cole to stop, but Cole keeps going and says, She wanted me to tell you she saw you dance. That when you were little, you guys had a fight, and before your recital, you thought she didn't come. But she did. She hid in the back, so you wouldn't see that she was there. She said you danced like an angel. She also said she saw when you came to the place where they buried her, and you asked her a question. She said, I'm supposed to tell you that the answer is every day. But then Cole asks her what the question was. And Lynn says, do I make her proud? And Cole just says, mama. And they hold each other and cry. And if you are not moved by that scene. Get out. You uh, don't have a soul. Get
1: out and get your own Uber. Oh, my God. Every time. I will turn this podcast around. (laughs) every time
0: i i weep like a baby
1: it's so good again we have this other scene with them really kind of raw and emotional and getting to bounce off each other and it just works so well i cannot express how much their chemistry and dynamic just works for this movie and it's it's like i would want i i could have a spin-off and it doesn't even have to be about ghosts just them (laughs) interacting it's just it, it, it feels so natural and i love the uh genuineness you can feel between them you know and how they're kind of growing together you know that's part of having a relationship with your kid is learning you know what works and what doesn't work and how you can help them and you know the kid also has to realize mom's an adult mom has emotions too mom is overwhelmed you know and he's he's getting to see that you know mom feels just like he does uh, constantly kind of inferior and and scared of doing the wrong thing or disappointing people around him so yeah you get to see him kind of finally resonate with her and and realize that mom's human too and we've both got to work through this together
0: yeah absolutely it's just so incredibly powerful and moving and it just completely sums up their little relationship and it's it's amazing yes well in our final scene we see malcolm arrive back home and anna has fallen asleep in the living room watching their wedding video again so malcolm decides to take cole's advice and talks to her while she's sleeping she actually begins to sleep talk to him Anne says that she misses him and wants to know why he left. But he says, I didn't leave you. But then Anna stirs in her sleep, moving her hand, dropping something to the floor that she's been holding. It rolls under the chair across the floor and lands at Malcolm's feet. It's his wedding ring. And he looks down at his hand and he realizes he's not wearing it. And then he remembers his conversation with Cole in the hospital. I see people. They don't know they're dead. Malcolm asks, how often do you see them? Cole says, all the time. They're everywhere. They only see what they want to see. And Malcolm remembers. The lock cellar, it's not locked. Anna put a table in front of it because no one uses it anymore. Anna's dinner for one at the dining room table, there was never a place setting for him to begin with. Their anniversary dinner, he didn't miss it. He was never expected. Malcolm is upset. 50,000 on a sense of (laughs) disrespect. He looks back at Anna and can now see her breath because it is so cold in the house. And it's his fault. He's the ghost. He never survived the incident with Vincent, and he has been dead this entire time. Plot fucking twist. Twist! We pull back to reveal Malcolm checking his back, which we never see throughout this entire movie until now, and can see it's covered in blood from where he was shot. We now cut back to that night, and we see Anna tending to the wound on his stomach, but there's no blood there until she rolls him over and sees that it's all pooling out his back. We see Malcolm on his side as he begins to weaken and he says, I think it's okay. It it doesn't really even hurt anymore. And we see him take his last breath as he dies. Well, back in the present day, Malcolm is back talking to Anna in her sleep. And he tells her he thinks that he can go now. He just needed to help someone. And he thinks he did. He also needed to tell her something. And that was that she was never second. And that he loves her. He tells her to sleep now. That everything will be different in the morning. She smiles and whispers goodnight. As the screen fades to white. As we get one final glimpse of them kissing On their wedding day. So good. Roll credits.
1: Roll the freaking credits.
0: Man. What a twist. What a twist. What a motherfucking twist. Dude, I remember when this movie came out in the theater. And one of the reasons why this movie did so well at the box office was people going back to see it again. Because when you came out of the theater... You were like, no fucking way. No fucking way he was dead the whole time. I know I saw him talk to people. Yeah. Or I saw him interacting with things or something. People were convinced. So they were going back and studying it and <laughs> just be like, all right, all right. And I was convinced at one point. When I came back, I was like, I know that I saw him talking to the mom in the apartment when they were waiting for him to come home from school. hmm but if you go back and watch it, nope. They're both just sitting there yeah. quietly mm-hmm. as he walks in the door. And they never speak to each other. Yeah. And, oh, God. It was just, it was mind blowing. And the other thing that was great was that everyone kept the secret. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody spoiled the twist as we sit here and spoil the twist. But seriously, <laughs> 21 years, people, <laughs> you've had time. So, so that's what made it so great is that everyone got to have that experience, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people got spoiled, but it was just it was it was overwhelmingly amazing. and to experience that in the theater when everyone kind of comes to that realization together, oh man, it was like this amazing shared moment it was it was one of my favorite cinematic moments you know just this experience I had watching this film
1: see that's one thing I'm jealous of is the fact that you got to see it in theaters because I did not but I feel like that similar to you know like the exorcist and stuff like that I, I feel like the the moment of seeing that in theater for the first time just is is not something that can be replicated
0: no absolutely not having that moment you know, everyone kind of feeds off the emotions of other people around that. So when everyone is feeling those same types of emotions at the same time, that's just like this kind of electrically charged feeling. And, and that's that's really intense. That's what makes actually going to experience these things in a theater so enjoyable. Yeah, You know, movies, they're meant to be shared and be made for mass audiences. You know, that's what they're there for. So that's really, with a lot of these movies, the best way that you can experience them.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that I wish I could uh, get in a time machine and go watch. There's so many movies I wish I could have seen in theaters for the first time, this being one of them, but there's it's just so many. And I feel like watching it at home is still good, believe me. this Everything is still so watchable <laughs> we've watched it twice within the last 24 hours it, it doesn't take away from the experience but I'm definitely envious of those that got to experience it for the first time in the theaters
0: so I got a couple of little extra factoids to throw in now that we've gotten through the twist bit of it uh and then we'll get to our prompts uh, so, according to M. Night Shyamalan, the movie was inspired by an episode of "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" called "Are You Afraid of the Dark: The Tale of the Dream Girl." Do you remember that one? I feel like I do. I I think so. Well, this one would have been about uh, a story which the leading characters are ignored by someone and do not realize that they're dead until the final moment. In the tale of the dream girl, a brother discovers that only his sister can see him, and she ultimately shows him his own obituary. Bring any bells? Slightly. Now I want to go watch it, though. (laughs) We'll have to see if we can find it. Uh, Another thing is a lot of people went back to make sure that there was some continuity there, and indeed, throughout the entire film, Malcolm's wardrobe consists only of slight variations of the clothes that he was wearing the night that he died. So he had a suit on. So he had a shirt and his pants and there was a vest. But then if you remember, Anna brings in a sweater, uh, like a sweatshirt for him. So he also had that. Mm -hmm. And then his uh, overcoat was sitting uh, on the bed there with him. So, so those things were kind of available to him. So it was just always a variation of that, but it was different enough and you never really noticed. Plus, there were a lot of outdoor scenes, them walking around. Yeah. And so he's in his coat a lot. Yeah. And, and you know, what he's wearing doesn't really matter at that point. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the last thing that I thought was kind of cool is if you got a peek of the soundtrack somehow before you went in to see the movie, it would have spoiled it for you because the final song on the CD is titled Malcolm is Dead. Oh. That's very interesting. I mean... We could at least put a question mark or something, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe. You throw people off a bit. You know, Malcolm <laughs> has the chicken pox. Malcolm may or may not be alive.
1: <laughs> that can be a fun title. Malcolm has gas. You know, tone it down a bit. Don't be so direct. Keep the people guessing. Let us do the spoiling, okay? We don't need your song titles to do it. Well, I guess that just leaves some prompts. Are you ready? I am very ready
0: all right so what did you have for your popcorn spiller
1: uh so for me it i ended up choosing the uh kitchen scene
0: oh uh, oh yeah uh with the lady who yells at him
1: well the, oh no 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 at the beginning yes the original oh, scene yes. where all the cabinets open the pop tart scene uh just because it really it's it's so uh unexpected uh-huh and, and, and like you said it, it happens in such a, such a small period of time but it's it's enough that it really spooks you and and really does I think kind of s- immediately sets that tone for like something fucking weird's going on here and uh it makes me want to figure out and stay for the rest of the film you mm-hmm. know what I mean so it's, it's the hook exactly exactly so that was definitely the scene for me just because it was so unexpected and it is uh put there to be a jump scare so I think Quite literally, I could have spilled my popcorn if I wanted to.
0: <laughs> yeah, the thing about this is this is a 100% jump scare, as as in it didn't have to be manufactured. They didn't have to add, you know, the the big sharp music that comes in real quick or anything like that. It's it's literally, it's a one-shot. So when Tony Collette leaves the kitchen, the camera follows her into the laundry room. It shows her throwing out the dirty tie, grabbing a new one, turning around going back into the kitchen and when she comes around that corner she screams because it startles her yeah and at that same time we see what she sees and you know so we have that shock moment all at the same time and it's so well done yeah it's so good what was your popcorn spiller uh mine it's always going to be that kid with his head blown out yeah Even though now I know it's coming, it's just, it's such a good moment, and it got me so good in the theater. I I wouldn't be surprised that if in the actual theater when I watched that, if I really did spill my popcorn. I mean, (laughs) I I jumped.
1: Yeah. It's so good. So who ended up being your
0: scene stealer for this movie? Uh, It's Lynn, for sure. I I, I struggled a bit between Lynn or Cole. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, but Lynn has fewer scenes than Cole, so when we do get to see some Tony Colette up there, mm-hmm. I can't not watch her performance. Yeah, she's just incredible.
1: Yeah, I basically uh, kind of cheated because I put both of them. Oh, okay, as oh, well, I, I I cannot fault you. I cannot <laughs> fault you. It's such a tough choice. Yeah, I, I, and I even kind of notated that it was it was simply their scenes together mm-hmm. uh, I mean the, they're so good separately but like I said the the chemistry is so strong between them that it just no matter what they're doing it, it evokes some sort of strong emotion and uh, yeah I can't help but immediately get sucked into wanting to s- to just watch them uh-huh. when they're interacting so yeah it, it was probably a cheat but I did it and I have no regrets
0: you know what I I think we can both agree that our scene stealer Uh, was their family unit as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So what was your gorgasm for this one? We didn't have a whole lot, but when we did, man, they were good.
1: Well, actually, I'm going to end up stealing your answer for number one. It's the gun wound. Uh, Just because it's unexpected, which is scary in itself, but it's just very gory and graphic. You immediately know what happened. There's no questions there uh and it's 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 really effective and well done and it's just so wet it's very wet looking <laughs> and uh yeah it's just very gory but also it, you can tell that it's well done too like it looks
0: legitimate it's uh-huh. it's very spooky and yeah. creepy so yeah i had the exact same answer <laughs> yeah it is fantastic and it is that combination of the well done makeup effect With the shock of it. Yes. You truly are not expecting that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, oh God, it gets you. It gets you. Every time. (laughs) So who ended up
1: being your memorable mortality?
0: Well, you know, we only had two deaths happen within the actual story uh, that we were there for. And that's Malcolm's and Vincent's. But we don't even know Malcolm's dead yet until the end. So I'm not sure you can really count that one. But there are a lot of dead people in this, and we do know how they died. Uh, so those could be included in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. So I went with Kira's death. That's who I chose. Yep. Finding out that it was a case of Munchausen's. Yes. Oh, man. And, and the mom getting busted for it in front of everyone. So you get that instant karma. Yes. Oh, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly uh, the same same reason I chose it, just how interesting it is and how uh, it, it really is kind of the, such a small moment in the grand scheme of the whole movie. But it's still so effective because of how big it is. You know, this this whole scene, you're finding out that this mom kept her daughter sick and killed her and is now trying to do the same to the younger sister. It's such a catastrophic scene, basically, seeing mm-hmm. all this happen. Uh, but it, like I said, in the grand scheme of the movie, it's not... The whole entire point in the movie but it's still so good at, at being effective that it was immediately I knew that's what I was going to put down for that category just because it's really well done and really interesting
0: yeah it, it's like you get a whole mini story within this story exactly you know you have this whole arc and conclusion and it, it's just and it's really really dramatic mm-hmm. and and to have this incredible payoff for it it's, it's so well done. Yeah. So, lastly, that leaves our big question, which
1: is, does The Sixth Sense stay in the dead zone, or does it get thrown in the vault to live with us forever and ever? Dead it's, zone? It's permanently in the <laughs> vault. Yeah, yeah, easy choice. Definitely a vault movie. It's one of those movies that I forget... <laughs> It's going to sound bad, but I forget things that happen in it. Uh And then when I rewatch it, I I remember how good it is. Right, yeah. Uh, Which, I mean, I I think is good. It's one of those things that just means I get to kind of relive it every time I watch it. Um, Although I still know the twist every time. That's not able to be replicated, (laughs) (laughs) finding that out for the first time. But it's still so good. And I think that speaks volumes to the movie, that while that twist is so huge and it really is – such a huge thematic twist you know people have talked about it for years about how big this and was and how well done it was but
0: it launched his entire career
1: well yeah but also it just i think it speaks volumes because if you can still watch the movie and it, and it be enjoyable and not hinge on that one twist i think that that's a big deal cuz
0: absolutely
1: yeah that that's the whole movie right there it is is that twist but when you find out you're not a disappointed b it wasn't predictable so it it just everything worked in favor for this movie and i like i said we'll happily put it in the vault all day long
0: yeah uh, i i can watch it over and over again it was so when we did our first viewing last night uh, I, I, I got to a point where I stopped taking notes and I just said, I haven't seen this in a while. Yes. I, I just have to watch it yeah. and experience it again. It's yeah. just, it's so good. It, and it's those performances, man. I just, I have no words for them. It, it just makes it so enjoyable <laughs> to watch someone kind of, you know, at the peak of their craft and yeah. everybody was just on point. I I, I re- remember turning to you after we watched the scene when they're in the car together and you know Cole makes his confession his secret and they're weeping and you look at me and I'm weeping and you're weeping and it's it's just it's a very emotional moment and and I said to you you know I wonder if they knew when they filmed that as soon as he said cut when they got that scene I wonder if they just knew you know holy shit yeah that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. This is gold right here. You know, it, it, I can't imagine being there in that moment and and seeing seeing that happen. It's I'm impressed. I don't know if if, if that comes across or not. It seems like you would like it <laughs> a little bit. I enjoy this movie. Okay, what can I say?
1: <laughs> it's a good movie, and like like we said, if you haven't seen it and we spoiled it for you i still think you can totally go watch the movie if, if if we've described it well enough and it still seems like something you're interested in even now knowing the twist i still think it's worth watching like whitney said for those performances and just for the whole movie alone it's it's very beautifully shot i love all the street scenery and everything throughout the movie it's just so uh i want to live there i don't know where it is <laughs> philadelphia philadelphia that's right I Philadelphia li-
0: is a gorgeous city.
1: well, don't threaten me with a good time. let's go.
0: <laughs> I'll take the ghosts. I've been you love it. It rains a lot there that's hey, when we were there. It rained all the time. That's what I'm talking about, <laughs> but it was beautiful. I mean you cannot step foot without touching something historical there. It's just it it you know it just has that charm and we'll go all right, let's make it happen. all right. <laughs> Well, one final little business before we jump out of here, Uh, and that's our red count. How'd you do? Were you able to kind of keep up with with red things? I heard you shout them out a couple of times.
1: Yeah, that was basically the extent of it, was me shouting it out. I didn't really (laughs) keep too much count, because I kept watching the movie, and it'd be like, I'd notice it after the fact, and I'd be like, well, wait, did I remember, because I started keeping track, Mm -hmm. uh, but then I was like, wait, did I write down those last two and then I just got confused, and so it didn't last very long. But there is a lot of red.
0: It does pop up uh, in in brief little moments. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. Uh, but I came up with twenty times in the th- in in the movie uh, in significant moments. Now now that is counting that item only once. So I didn't count, like, every time we saw his red blanket fort. Yeah. You know, I just counted the red blanket fort as one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if an item repeats, I didn't count it again. So So. the same rules go for you guys. You get it? (laughs) No cheating here. So can you come up with more than 20 items? I bet people can. I miss stuff all the time. I'm horrible at those, like, hidden object games and stuff. I'll look for, like, an hour for a toothbrush (laughs) i like, I see nothing that looks like a toothbrush. Everything looks like butterflies. I don't know what to tell you.
1: Well, and it doesn't help when you get so caught up watching the movie. That's what yes. happened with me, is you just sit there and you become fully engaged and forget that you're supposed to be counting red things. So,
0: And see, I'm so competitive. My Virgo nature was like, you will do this and you will dominate. <laughs> Until you find out someone finds 86 things. So I'm like, I suck. <laughs> I saw nothing. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number 20. 20. We made 20 episodes.
1: That's the best. I can't believe we've done 20. That's wild. 20 episodes in the motherfucking can.
0: <laughs> in the can. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for 20 episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. It's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com.
1: And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. And lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching the 2006 remake of The Omen. And if you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes.
0: And, of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for learning and performing every song from The Last House on the Left soundtrack. Hearing the Sadie and Crew Baddies theme song synth out with a little Whirlitzer sprinkled in, that shit hit my soul, man. I I felt it. I felt it. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up.
1: We'll be waiting for you.
0: Well, of course, she's also a screen queen. What <laughs> I said, screen queen. I hate the word I, queen. It's not even a real word. It but doesn't it's matter. Horrible. It's the worst. I don't like
1: queen. You. <laughs> <laughs> <Ew. laughs> <laughs> uh. let's never talk about it again. We won't. Oh, thank you. That's a cursed word.
0: <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say
1: good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an
0: enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.